Welcome to the Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. The Innovative Mindset was created to give easy access to people with innovative stories and livelihoods that can teach valuable lessons to everybody. Today on episode 8 of the podcast, we have Giovanni Gallo. Giovanni Gallo is a compliance expert and co-CEO of Compliance Line. Compliance Line has been an industry leader in outsourced compliance solutions for over 20 years. Please enjoy this episode of the innovative mindset about compliance, business, and more with Harrison Kelly and Giovanni Gallo. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for coming to this this episode of the podcast. I'm very excited and have my good friend Giovanni Gallo on. Gio, how you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Happy to have you on, that's for sure. Uh, Gio is the co-CEO of a, a very fascinating company called Compliance Line. I'm going to let him kind of get into the nitty gritty there. So Gio, if you want, could you just kind of walk us through your story briefly and and tell us where you are now and what Compliance Line does on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll kind of start with the end in mind. Where I am right now is um, I'm co-CEO, as you said, of Compliance Line. Compliance Line serves leaders who care by helping them figure out what's going on in their organization and give them clarity about what to do about it. So uh, in the compliance space, we run third-party whistleblower hotlines, do compliance software. We do specialized background screening, e-learning, investigations, all of this stuff around the, uh, you know, the HR and compliance department that it's kind of like everyone kind of hears about it as they're onboarding and you maybe have your annual training and you know that there's some policies out there. Well, there's, there, there's an army and it might be an army of one or it might be a big team of people they're making sure that when something goes wrong, uh, whether it's harassment or discrimination or just uh, trying to build, you know, kind of breaks in the culture, um, there are a bunch of really great people who uh, care about the employees there, care about the culture, trying to make sure that that stuff gets done right. And we're here to serve them and empower those HR leaders, those ethics experts, those compliance pros um, with, uh, you know, the software and really the human services that, that really make the magic happen. So uh, that's where I'm right now. We got an awesome team. We're located here in Charlotte and um, we're really proud that we serve thousands of HR and ethics professionals and we serve over 6 million employees around the world uh, who benefit from us helping uh, our clients do a good job. Um, So that's where we are right now. My story really, it's best to, to uh, because of the context is given to my life, starts a couple generations back. My grandfather lived in Cuba. He built a great business. My father was born there um, and they had really uh, kind of made it in life. They you know, had a house and a vacation home, ran his own business. They were providing jobs and opportunity to people. Um, well, you know, one day uh, the revolution happens. Soldiers walk into the factory with Kalashnikov rifles, send everybody home, sit my grandfather down at his desk and say, all of this, all of this, it belongs to the people. So we're taking this, you go home and we'll let you know when your people can come back to work. So um, needless to say, that was a big shock um, to that that whole economy in uh, Cuba and to my my grandparents' family. Um, And they ended up sending the kids, imagine this, sending the kids alone to the US as refugees without their parents because they could just get the kids out. And they were like, this country is getting ruined and uh, we gotta get like, we we cannot let the kids stay here. So, you know, my poor grandmother, 
you know, she's, you know, maybe her mid thirties or something like that. She's got kids under 10 telling them, Hey, you know, we're right behind you. Uh, not, not knowing if she's, she's ever going to see her kids again. So, uh, that, that was kind of the story that we grew up around. So they ended up getting out, you know, six months later, getting out, coming to Miami, getting reunited with, as a family, and then moving to Chicago. My dad kind of grew up there the rest of the time. I was born in Chicago. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that gave some context to uh, our life growing up that as much as this country can improve and as many problems as we have, there's something here called upward mobility. Um, there's, there, there's an opportunity here where if you treat people right and you do the right thing and you work hard and you make good decisions, uh, you can make something uh, better for yourself and your family and the people around you. And that, that was just a story that was really ingrained in uh, our family at a young age. And, you know, we didn't have a lot growing up. We moved around a bunch as our parents were looking for opportunity. They were in sales and we moved from Chicago to uh, Florida to uh, uh, Cincinnati and to Indianapolis. We moved every year until I was in high school. And as we moved in all these different situations, we saw our parents working hard and we saw you know, this, this story that, you know, my, my mom has, has her, her own story, um, on her side of the family, but both my parents, you know, poured into us this idea that, uh, you know, there, there are things worth working for and it's worth doing things that matter with excellence. Um, and you know, the reward from that can, can come, uh, you know, especially get, given the dynamics we have in this country. So my parents started a business when I was kind of in junior high, and uh, that really opened up mine and my brother's eyes open to uh, entrepreneurship and business leadership. Um, so we kind of had this dream as we saw our parents start a business and we saw them, you know, build this company, take care of their employees, serve their customers well. And we saw how that really provided opportunity for, you know, um, you know, some of the things that we had struggled through as a family. Uh, we got to, you know, be more comfortable and go to a nice school and stuff like that. Um, so my brother and I kind of set off on this great experiment, this grand dream that we had of we saw our parents run a business together and how, how, how well they did that wouldn't it be cool if Nick and I could run a business together some someday? So we were kind of, you know, at the lemonade stand stage and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, trying, trying, trying to see how we could like make, make some profit selling candy on, uh, at, in the hallways at school or whatever uh, to, Hey, let's go figure out how to do this someday. So we were the first in our families to go to college. We figured we should know how to, how the books run. We did finance and accounting. We went into professional services, all, all trying to forge this path to let's lead a business and let's do it the right way. Let's take care of our people, take care of our customers, run this kind of balanced scorecard stakeholder um, approach. So we did professional services um, and we got to see, you know how the big companies did it and I was in investment banking and Nick was uh, working for a big accounting firm um, and then we moved into private equity which is you know it's like house flipping for companies right so you're trying to find a business that can be better you invest some money into it try to bring some talent around it and uh, improve uh, the way that that performs and then you know we, we were trying to formulate this path I ended up going to uh, Kellogg at Northwestern University getting my MBA and in that pursuit I found out about this model where some successful entrepreneurs uh, would back uh, you know people like Nick and I who had some experience and had some ambition um, to take over and transition uh, a company where someone was retiring and we could take we, we could kind of do a passing of the baton and then um, 
you know, uh, run that business. So we're going on four years here. There was, this company has been around for over two decades. We had great founders who knew about compliance, knew how to do this right, and really treated their customers really well. And they built a great culture here. And we're really proud to be stewards of that culture, that legacy, and the things that our clients entrust us with today. Um, so we're, we're, we're really proud of the team that we have here and the way that we're able to provide opportunity to people within our organization. And like I said, make the world a better workplace by helping those 6 million plus employees, uh, you know, avoid danger, uh, not have to deal with some of the garbage that people deal with and try to try to just uh, build better cultures. For sure. Wow. What a, what an impressive life you and your, your family members have led. So that's <laughs> well, amazing. I'm standing on the shoulders of, of giants Harrison. So yeah, uh, I'm, just, I, I'm just taking the next step here. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing you could do. So this yeah. is something I, I was hoping to talk, chat with you about. I did some uh, some stalking via LinkedIn and saw that you had went the MBA route, which Northwestern, obviously, very reputable school. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. One thing that I wanted to chat with you about, I feel like a lot of the like Gary V's out there and stuff like that, I'm kind of up in the air about it. Um, a lot of them are saying, you don't even need to go to college anymore. Like it's not a necessity. Um, for me going to college, I do agree that honestly, college is kind of where I found my passion for entrepreneurship and innovation. I was in the, okay. the, I was the president of the TCNJ entrepreneurship club. So shout out. Right. To that. That's kind of, yeah, Get it, it, was, Harrison. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a good time. So for me, my undergrad education was worth it, but I wasn't necessarily sure if an MBA was fitting because now I'm getting super worthwhile experience being in the field. I wasn't sure. necessarily sure it was needed. So what would you say to like, not necessarily critics, but people who say college isn't really necessary anymore. Do you think that getting the MBA really set you further ahead on your journey in entrepreneurship? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I think the answer is complex. So, so I'll try to give, uh, uh, kind of lay it out a little bit and we can dig in if you want. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's a bit of a joke for MBAs that like uh, the answer to every question is it depends. And then it's like, well, what depends on what, right? So uh, to those critics, I would just say like, well, what are you arguing against? Um, and some of it is this mindset that like, I certainly agree with them. You know, if, if someone's going to college or getting an advanced degree, expecting that it's like it was in the 1940s, where if you just, if you're one of the 1.3% of people who have a college degree, like you're going to be set for life. And all you got to do is graduate with a degree and you could just sit back and then you can just hang out and it's going to be great. Well, like if that's someone's idea of college, then you shouldn't be expecting that going into it. Um, so, you know, uh, outside of that, it's like, well, what do you get out of it and what does it cost, right? So, I mean, obviously, this is, this is how we make all kinds of decisions. Like, what are you expecting from it? So, are you expecting some discovery? Like, that can happen a lot on a campus. You discovered your uh, passion for entrepreneurship there. Some other people bounce between a few different majors and they end up in something that they love. Now, there's also, like, a downside to this where school is super expensive. Like, it is not like a foregone conclusion that like you spend 400 grand over four years or whatever the heck it costs these days. And then like, Oh yeah, you're going to pay those loans off in two years and you're going to be set for life. So like it's expensive. So watch out for that. Um, also like there were a lot of people I saw in undergrad, maybe a little bit less. So definitely less so in uh, grad school, but like they didn't know what they were going after and they didn't know what they wanted and they weren't kind of, they were kind of wandering, not exploring. And those can be very different things. I think it can be a great place to explore, explore both undergrad and grad school um, and kind of, you know, kind of sharpen your focus in your direction. Um, but, you know, 
I, I think generally there are a lot of people who don't need like, well, first of all, everyone doesn't need to go to college. Like you can survive for the rest of your life without having a college degree, right? So like, what is a need, right? Like, do you need it to achieve a certain dream? Maybe you do. For sure, yeah. I think definitely having a clear picture before you think, oh, I don't know what I want to do. Might as well just pay for this $150,000 master's. (laughs) You're kind of jumping the gun a little bit. And I think one of the things that I do agree with with a lot of the – a lot of the people that say that like college isn't a necessity is that like real world experience can be such a great teacher on its own, you know? So it's like, yeah. if you don't know what you're doing and you're jumping in and getting your master's, like why not go work for a couple years, get a feel for what you want to do. See if you like that. See if you don't like that. Those are both such imperative things. I feel like not liking a job is as valuable at a young age as liking <laughs> or as like loving a job, you know? So there's room I mean, that's both. such a good point, man. And I, I like, it's so wise of you to bring it up because people don't realize that like, you know, you're going down this path, right? And you got, you got, you got a fork in the road or you got three paths to go on. If you know, one of them's a definite no, cause you spent an hour or you spent a year doing PR or you spent a summer, you know, working for an accounting firm or whatever it was. Like, if you know, that's a no, well then you've just narrowed your set of like where you do want to focus and you've learned about yourself. So like that stuff is not a kind of complete loss of value um, and stuff like that. Like saying no uh, kind of gets you to yes. And that can happen for sure. And I think that that experience is super important. Um, And, you know, I think ultimately like you, you know, like, it's not a necessity, right? None of this stuff is a necessity. Um, You know, there are people who are self-taught and there's like, there's a ton that I got, while I was in uh, university and grad school from getting some real world experience there, doing an internship, doing a practicum where like you're in a class, but you're spending part of the time that you do for those credits, like working with a business, doing a project with them. Um, Like all of that stuff was always very interesting to me. um, And I got a lot of value out of like understanding how my skills, how my personality, how my passion kind of bangs up against the real world. uh, Because, you know, (laughs) as you know, as you bring on a client or you like go show up to your boss, like there's not a syllabus and there's not a test and there's not a textbook. Like you got to figure it out. And that's, you know, that's what a lot of the world is. And I think that school can give you some of that. Um, but that experience is really invaluable. And I, I did have that gap uh, in between my undergrad and my grad school where I got to see kind of what I did and didn't like. That's amazing. And was that gap where you were working? Was that in the compliance space? How did you kind of wind up in this niche that you would you wound up in? Third party compliance is an interesting. Uh, <laughs> is that where you saw yourself originally or you kind of just fell into it? Well, when I was like seven, I, you know, in second grade, they asked me what I wanted to be. And I was like, I want to be a baseball player. I want to play in the major leagues. And they were saying, they said like, you're probably not that athletic geo. And I was like, all right, how about a compliance officer? Uh, no, I'm just playing. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, no, there's this group. Right there. Police yeah, exactly. compliance officer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, obviously it's a joke. Like when you're a kid, you, you know, you're like, what do you, you want to be like uh, Batman or you want to be like a, <laughs> yeah. a ball player or, or you want to be like, yeah, some type of hero. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know about this as a career. This is, you know, a, a segment of a segment of the org chart at a company. Um, but, um, you know, my, my experience before this wasn't directly in compliance. The cool thing is, as I've gotten to know a bunch of really, you know, excellent professional, like really genius uh, compliance practitioners, hardly anybody knew about this when they were in like, you know, elementary and junior high, but people end up kind of 
finding their way to the space because it's this cool match of you're making a real impact on people's lives and you have to do it with excellence. Like you got to make sure that your stuff is tight. You're responsible for all of this stuff. And it's cool talking to people and they came from accounting or they were a nurse or they were a lawyer or kind of all these different paths, but then they kind of got exposure to some of this and they did a good job and they were like, Oh wow, I made a difference with that. And they kind of, uh, balance this, you know, kind of ability to handle complexity with this ability to make sure that like the ultimate result is not just like some numbers and ones and zeros, but like people's lives are better. And I think a lot of people end up um, kind of holding on to that. So my path was, I was doing, um, you know, like IPOs and mergers and acquisitions um, in the healthcare space. And then I was uh, investing and, you know, help, helping to improve companies in the healthcare space. And we did a lot of services. So we, you know, we worked with nursing homes and hospice and pharmacies and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I noticed and I had this, we had this conversation within my firm that the companies in healthcare that really end up performing well, like by and large, you see this pattern among them that they get compliance. Like they get that it's important, they get it right, they do it in the, and they invest in it. So it was something that I started to become more and more interested in. And then as I was looking to, to take this next step, I've spent a bunch of time looking around the space of like, okay, like that seems like it's important. It seems like not, like there are a lot of companies that don't really get it. And healthcare is this kind of like really distilled example of it because you have a lot of risk, right? Like if you mess up at Wendy's, like you give someone another box of fries and you're good, right? Like if you mess up in a hospital, like you can't give someone their grandma back. So, um, you know, like, like you got to get it right. There's a high cost of failure and stuff like that. Um, but those same types of things are in place at Wendy's and an international manufacturer and all of that, where like, you know, if something goes wrong, people's lives are at stake at some level of their livelihood or, you know, like someone getting abused at work can be just like a life wrecking thing for someone to suffer through. Um, so that dynamic I saw was, was uh, you know, relevant across a bunch of industries. So I spent a bunch of time uh, with my brother, Nick, who's my co-CEO here, looking into compliance, kind of seeing what companies were doing a good job, which companies were innovative, which companies kind of got this kind of compliance 2.0 and 3.0 thing of like, this is really a much more comprehensive impact that we're having. Um, and I was just really, you know, blessed and fortunate to find compliance line and find the founders here had really kind of lived out an ethos that is close to my heart and has allowed us to build on, um, you know, like those, those uh, giant shoulders that they have and, and move forward here. Yeah, that's amazing. What what it sounds like the stars really aligned for this area that you're so fascinated in to have like a, a well established business yeah. <laughs> readily available to pick up, you know, can't beat that. So for me, like, I want to hear your definition, if you could, in layman's terms, what is compliance management? And why is it important to somebody that's not necessarily super familiar with the space? Yeah. Uh, okay. So let me try to boil that down because I got a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, you were saying, uh, what is compliance management and why is it important? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so compliance happens on a few levels. There's the kind of thing that you're forced to from like a regulatory and legal standpoint, the things that you want to do from a company standpoint, and the things that you should do from a cultural standpoint. That's kind of one, two, and 3.0. Um, so compliance management is managing the behaviors and actions of people and systems around the company to achieve the mission that, that you care about and to also make sure that things that can wreck that don't happen. And I think that when you view it that way and, and you view the 
the comprehensive potential impact that um, that a compliance team can have, you realize that we have in a not just the potential to, but really a charge and an obligation to have an impact on all of the actions all around the organization. So it's like we, you know, we're like the goalie that needs to make sure that no shots get by. And we also have a chance that as those shots don't get come by, our team can focus on culture, can focus on taking care of people and not kind of be um, this kind of contentious, uh, worried environment that, that really saps people's productivity, saps their creativity, um, and makes work a place that you suffer through rather than a place that you thrive in. So that's really why it's important is because we have an, imp we have an ability to, to impact a bunch of different layers of the organization and actions. And when it's done right, we have our own contribution to making this workplace that, you know, we like to say here that most people for most of the years in their life spend most of the hours in their day at work. And that's a really big part of everyone's life. And if we can impact that workplace so that it's not a place that you just kind of, you're working for the weekend, but it's a place where you can thrive. It's a place where you can bring your gifts to bear to make other people's lives better and to build a good life for yourself, your family, and your community. That's really the potential for compliance um, to make that impact. And it's really on all leaders to do that, but we, we have a specific and a special charge and obligation um, to do this in a way that a lot of other, a, a lot of other divisions um, uh, don't, you know, can't really, really impact, you know, sales can grow the top line, but they're not going to make sure that the uh, manufacturing floor is safe. You know, IT can build some enhanced, you know, uh, productivity enhancing software and implement some stuff, but they can't make sure that managers don't, you know, uh, drag their people down and, uh, you know, suck the life out of them. Um, so we, we as compliance leaders and ethics experts can have an impact on that. We need to do that with partnership with everybody else. And uh, that's how, all, that's how everything gets done everywhere. Yeah, it's amazing. So it sounds like on like the surface level, just obviously not breaking any laws, the not breaking laws thing is so important, obviously, but you're also tying in, um, helping the culture develop better as well and pretty much make sure that people in different departments are the synergy is still there the the culture is kind of is kind of organization wide essentially right yeah exactly and you know um you can start with that like make sure that you don't get sued and you don't get like shut down by the government right like if you're breaking laws and you got to shut the company down and everyone has to like go find new jobs like that's a terrible outcome so you should definitely do that, but it doesn't stop there, right? It's not like, okay, great. No one, you know, no one got sued. A bunch of people got uh, abused at work this year, but they're not suing us. So like, we're good, right? So like, you can't stop there. You got to like, make sure that your, your policies are adhered to and you're building a good culture. And ultimately, you know, compliance is about behavior. Behavior is about decisions and those decisions are all made by people. So the things that we're trying to impact in compliance are all ultimately caused, you know, uh, like the problems we're looking out for are caused by people and the outcome, the positive outcome that we're looking for is to take care of the people who are around us and, and everyone relies on, you know, this is not like we're out of the industrial age, right? Like manufacturing is still super important. Um, you know, like hard goods are a huge part of our economy. Like we're seeing all of that with a lot of like the supply chain stuff and stuff like that. Um, but this is increasingly becoming a knowledge economy where our biggest asset is our people. And that doesn't just, that's not just like a nice thing that some people say when they're on an annual earnings call. It's like, actually, like the work can't get done without the people. 
and you need people to make decisions, to collaborate, to work together, to innovate and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, to a certain extent, we as, uh, you know, HR leaders and compliance professionals, we're helping to tune and take care of the people who are really making the wheels of industry run. Oh, true. And it's, it's so, it's so important. And something that, that comes to my mind when you say that is just the fact that it's never been more apparent how vital the staff is to the organization. I mean, as far as these companies, the employees striking against the organization because they yeah. don't agree with one of their policies. I know it's happened to Google a bunch of times yeah. happening right now. I'm pretty sure with GE and the, uh, the mask manufacturing during coronavirus. So yep. that wouldn't have been a thing 30 years ago. I don't believe. Yeah. And I think it's driven by a couple things. Um, you know, one is that there's this cultural zeitgeist where people have been empowered either by education and knowledge and being connected to each other and technology and seeing some of this stuff work or whatever, where people are standing up, thankfully, and saying, you know what, I'm sick and I'm tired and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. And like for a company to just wait for that revolt to happen to address something, I think is a dereliction of their duty. It's a, it's like this myopic focus on just one outcome. Like, Hey, Hey, if we make a lot of profit, it's going to be fine. Uh, well, it's this short term mentality that has crept into a lot of things. It's crept into a lot of vendors and a lot of services and this kind of arm's length, like, yeah, I don't know. You just get the job done. Well, like we all got to do this together and we all got to work on this together. And some people are standing up and saying, Hey, we're not going to stand for this. We're going to band together. Um, you know, the, the ideal way to get to that solution is not to wait for a revolt and then try to quell it and try to, try to negotiate with it, but it's to make sure people are taken care of and to communicate with them and to engage them in the solution and actually be a team and a company and a culture, not just like the ivory tower and then the managers and then the front line and everyone's kind of scraping by to try to grab grab some of the food off of uh, you know the, the the latest kill that was brought in uh, by the lion. Like we, like there's, there's plenty in this world. This is, this is part of what Nick and I were raised with and part of like our honest view on what uh, the right way to live is, is there's plenty to be had in this world if we do it well and we do it together. So, you know, when we work together, like the pie gets bigger and when we're fighting over stuff, like a bunch of stuff gets messed up. And I think that's part of what we can do as ethics experts is to build that alignment, build that employee engagement and make sure that, you know, the, those lines of communication are flowing properly um, and also decisions are, are taking into account the actual level of problem or consternation or whatever it is, not just the things that are showing up in Congress and become laws or in the courts and become a lawsuit. If you're just doing that, you're like, uh, you're like driving in the rear view, you know, with your glasses backwards or something. For sure. And honestly, what you're saying right now resonates so much with me on a personal level as well, so, uh, cool. especially as someone that's pretty young. I find that a lot of people my age, but plenty of adults that I speak with as well, really have a short term mindset. They're like, how am I going to pay the, the bill next month? And it's a, it's a similar, it's that like minute myopic view that you're talking about. Uh, a lot of businesses are thinking about, all right, how are we going to create value for the shareholders for next quarter? Not right. what is the implication going to be of my actions right now, 10 years, 15, even a hundred years down the line, some of the right. power these businesses have, they could be making decisions, especially with things like the environment <laughs> that have consequences for the rest of our lifetimes, probably people in future lifetimes as well. But yep. if you don't have the compliance guys thinking about it, they're going to be thinking short-term profit, short-term profit, short-term profit. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not like that all the time. And, you know, I've had discussions with people, people say, oh, that thing that you're saying compliance should do really the CEO should be doing it or really the board should be doing it. And it's like, okay, fine. I don't want to argue with you about it. They should all be doing it. But if they're not, we as ethics experts have a chance to make an impact on that. And we have a chance to make it better. And you know what, if it's great and nothing ever happens and no one's ever sad and there are no bad guys as managers, then like maybe, maybe it's not a problem, but you know, time and time again, we meet companies who think, oh, well, no, no one's complaining to us about anything. So we don't have any issues. And then they sign up with a us and someone's finally feels safe speaking up because it's a third party. They're not just calling their boss's receptionist and saying, Hey, I got a problem with, you know, our mutual boss doing this, right? Like when people don't trust their managers, when people don't trust their leaders, they're not going to be speaking up. Um, and finally, when they come over to us and people are like, okay, cool, this is safe. I'm not going to get retaliated against. They find out about all these skeletons in the closet, all of these, you know, roaches on, under the carpet and stuff like that, that they didn't know about before. Um, and it can be, you know, it can be a hard thing to kind of come to terms with and be like, wow, I thought we were fine. And there were actually a bunch of problems, but you know, that's the first step to recovery is like realizing what the issue is. And then we can start fixing it together. Yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, if a company creates a toxic culture where people don't respect their management, what incentive is there for them to go to their management? <laughs> so yeah. you guys kind of act as a, as an outlet for almost like a therapist of sorts for people that are dealing with their company's frustrations, you know? You got it, man. You're, you're hitting on the head. If you talk to uh, some of the people in our help center, uh, they, they feel like that sometimes for sure. But uh, I'm glad you brought that up that like it's an outlet for employees. The cool thing about what we do is it's, it's two-sided. It's, this is also a, uh, like a way to open the eyes of leaders because listen, as, as much as, you know, you'll see people striking kind of saying, Hey, get these fat cats out of here. Or you can see articles or documentaries about like the, the real bad guys leading businesses. Most people in my experience who are CEO of a business or owner of a business or sit on a board, like they're not villains, right? Like they're not like, I'm going to, I'm going to steal from everyone. Like they, they, they might have some different priorities. Um, but a lot of times people are trying to do the right thing and they need to either like, they need a clearer sense of what the problem is or a clearer path to solution. And what we can do is engage those employees. They can get it off their chest. Um, we can show it to leaders and they say, oh, wow, this is different from what I thought. And, you know, I mean, by and large, it may be just like a sampling error because these are the people who come to our, to us to work with us, but people want to do the right thing. And, you know, we can help them do that and be clear about it. And, and what we've seen is when leadership is made more aware of this stuff and they they can see a clear path to a solution uh most of the time people want to fix it and they want to they want to do the right thing yeah it's it's amazing and it's good to hear that (laughs) that capitalism isn't all people that are just money 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 there is (laughs) there is executives out there that genuinely do care about the people that work beneath them so sometimes i I mean there are definitely some bad actors out there oh sorry go ahead for sure (laughs) i was gonna say sometimes the media only highlights the the bosses that are doing bad things and there's definitely plenty of them to go around but but fortunately there are some great ones too yeah, I mean, they also don't, you know, they also like doctors don't uh, go see a lot of patients who are like super healthy and like it's kind of a very boring story to be like, hey, here's a company and like people are pretty happy and things are going well. So like, the, you know, there's that sampling error of just like, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, they're going to be 
blowing up the story about this malfeasance or this fraud or stuff like that. I mean, those people are definitely out there. Like Joseph Mears and uh, like I had a sense of it before I got into this line of work directly in compliance. Um, but like my eyes have really opened up to it. Like there are some really bad people out there and they get away with it. Like I'm shocked that people think they, they would get away with it. And then I realized like, oh, they've been getting away with it for years. So like it happens, like there are definitely bad people out there. It's why the, the brave and caring work that um, compliance leaders do is so important. So like they're definitely out there. Um, but I think that people can definitely get this jaded view and this kind of un, uh, you know, out of balance perception. You know, if you just kind of look at what's in the news story, you're not, you know, you're not seeing a news story about, you know, the, the leader who she's built a business for 30 years and provided jobs to hundreds of people and takes care of everybody. Like, you know, that may make like a special interest story once in her lifetime on page six, you know, C16. Um, but, uh, you know, that there, there are a lot of leaders out there who care. And part of our job at Compliance Line is to help those leaders who care make the world a better workplace. It's amazing. Well, I can say for sure that you've convinced me of the importance of compliance management. So, All right. <laughs> we sure got another. That, yeah. We got another <laughs> one on board. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's undoubtedly an amazing industry. Uh, something that I'm curious about from kind of like the innovative entrepreneurship side of things is could you kind of walk through the process of a, you address that you wanted this business? How did it go from, all right, I want to buy compliance line to you acquired it and became the CEO? Yeah. So uh, I'm co-CEO with my brother, but that's a minor point. Just I like, I would not be here without him. Like we do all of this stuff together. He's an amazing, amazing. amazing visionary and encourager and stuff like that. Um, uh, so, you know, what we were doing is, you know, I, uh, it was my full-time job to try to find this transition. So we were going to conferences and doing research and contacting business owners and networking and stuff like that, kind of putting, putting our dream out there and saying, hey, here's what we're trying to do. If you've built a business and it's going pretty well, like we're not trying to buy, you know, a dilapidated uh, house and make it into, some, into a mansion, right? Like, like if you're doing well and you want to move on at some point, in the near future and you don't have a succession plan in place, here's what we're trying to do. We're not going to do the standard, you know, uh, barbarians at the gate. Someone's going to buy the company and fire half the people. And they just see, you know, they call them synergies and it's really just firing people. We're going to take over, you know, take the baton from you, kind of step into your role. And uh, really, you know, what we were looking for is a company that was doing well enough that we could preserve its culture keep its people employed and drive it forward and make it better. Um, and that's not a lot of, a lot of times that's not what happens in an owner and leader transition. Either you sell to somebody and they fire, you know, 20 to 60% of your staff and, you know, your brand's not around anymore. And, you know, they're just kind of sucked into uh, the, uh, you know, the, the mothership. Um, or they kind of try to do a transition that is kind of half-hearted and someone's not ready to do it and the company just kind of languishes. Um, so what we want to do is find, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to find someone who they said, hey, like I had been kind of thinking about it, but, uh, you know, I wasn't kind of ready, but I'm thinking about it, so let's talk. And then over the course of a year, we built a relationship. They got to know us. We got to know them, you know, when when they kind of warmed up to it, we we made it to kind of another stage where they're like, okay, let's start talking, you know, numbers and we'll show you our financials and you can get to know a little bit more about the business and stuff like that. Um, and ultimately, you know, we, we think of this transition as it's like 
a patient having a heart and a brain transplant. Like it's a very disruptive thing to bring the heart of the business and kind of, you know, the, uh, you know, a lot of times the founder is the innovator and the source of, uh, you know, the initial idea and stuff like that. Um, kind of take, take those and swap them in um, for some new people. Um, so we really wanted to make sure that we did it slowly. We went slow and steady. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of volatility and concern from employees of like, who's the new boss and what are these guys going to do? And, you know, everyone's concerned about, you know, the horror stories that you talked about like, oh, these are, here comes some capitalists and they're going to, you know, try to take some money out of my pocket. Well, we did none of that. And, you know, we, we've paid out bigger bonuses than people have ever had. We're promoting more from within. Uh, like we did no layoffs. Um, you know, we, we, we made benefits better, like in, in every way that we could, we wanted to make this a stronger and better better company and we were fortunate to find owners who cared about that um and wanted to you know do that smooth um passing of leadership to us and you know almost four years in uh, it's going pretty well so far that's amazing it almost sounds like you're an hr guy you didn't want to have to lay people off wow <laughs> i'm not that's an amazing. hr guy i'm just a people guy and you know i i grew up in a family business and those people who worked for our family business like they were part of our family. And if they had a problem, we all tried to help them with it. And, you know, like I've just always seen the workplace as a place where people go rather than people as something that have to kind of fit into the workplace, like jobs and the economy and products and services exist because people want them and people need a job and people want to make a difference in the world. And this should be facilitating that, not just trying to get this thing done uh, and kind of suck what I can out of employees before they leave. And then I'll just hire somebody new. I mean, it's a very short term thing. And you're just always in this cycle of hiring, you know, I mean, we run a business that has uh, a bunch of it in a call center and the call center industry is notorious for turning people over an average of, you know, four to nine month tenure. Um, and you're always doing it. Well, we have a long tenure because we hire well, you know, we recruit very carefully, we pay people well, and we build a good culture um, where people who want to be part of this thing that we're building, um, hopefully this is a place where they can have a home, they can grow, um, and they can make an impact for a long time. It honestly, you hit the nail on the head so many times there. I, I honestly, like it sounds funny to say that I'm grateful for this, but I was in two work situations that absolutely sucked in oh. like, right in school and right out of school. I okay. had I was involved. I won't name any names, obviously, but um, yeah, I was at one organization. It was a startup. I was in a business competition. Okay. Um, and we ended up doing really well in the business competition, but the business that was being launched was a real business. And I was pretty much promised equity and being like still in school and stuff, like didn't get it in writing quickly enough. He pretty much, once we made it further in the competition was like, I'm not giving you equity. And also it pretty much, I also busted him. Like we hopped on a zoom call and I caught the CEO just insulting me behind my back. And he was making, I was bending my back over working for him, helping him launch a real business solely because I knew that it was a good enough business idea that we were going to win money in this competition. But sure. And you guys kind of had the handshake agreement. You had the verbal agreement and then they reneged on it. Yeah. He not only reneged on it, but he was just mean. He was condescending. It was just a terrible environment all around. And it was like, after the fact, he was like, yeah, you know, well, like if you wanted to have a discussion about like coming on as like the official CMO, like I'd be happy to. And it was like, he knew nothing about marketing. I'm very in the digital marketing space. And, and I loved the product. It was tough walking away from the product, but it's like, why would I possibly go out of my way to, to help you thrive when you've done nothing but belittle me and, and try and make me feel small essentially was what it felt like. So it was like, 
I'm, I honestly was so glad that I had a quote unquote boss like that because now I'm in the polar opposite position. My boss, my boss is the, um, he's the director of SEO at Audible. So incredibly bright guy, incredibly insightful guy, but he's also kind and understands the value in, in letting me know that I'm doing a good job and, uh, and giving me opportunities to make commission if I can, if I can land sales and things like that. It was right. just like, he's gone out of his way to make sure that I have a sense of belonging, even though it's just the two of us at this company. And uh-huh. as a result, it's like, I'm working, I'm working more than 40 hours a week, most weeks, because I want to help this business thrive, you know? So it, it's, yeah. And like, it all just works so much better there. Right. Like when you guys are aligned and you can work together and you clear up, you know, like the inevitable miscommunications or stuff that doesn't go right or whatever, like it just works better. And it's not just like, oh, I'm happier. And, you know, I'm like fat and happy and nothing happens. No, like I'm happier and we're working together and we're building something that we're proud of. Um, And, you know, like I, I just believe that life is better when you do something that matters and do it with excellence. And that includes the way you treat people. That includes the way you manage people. Um, and you know, I, like, I'm definitely sorry, Harrison, that you dealt with someone that treated you that way. But to your point, it's a very valuable lesson to like, see how not to do it, to like, see that bad example. And also to get the heck out of there. Like exactly. good thing, good thing you weren't, you know, you didn't like have a mortgage and you were three years into the job and you're like, Oh, <laughs> I'm going to hold on till the next seed round, you know, the next financing round and maybe things will be better. And you're just suffering under that terrible regime. Um, uh, I'm glad you got out of there, man. Yeah, me too. And I mean, like I said, like it really, it really opened my eyes to what I do want. So I, I pretty much coined the saying, like every job that you hate is one step closer to determining your dream job and working in your dream job. Yeah. So <laughs> it totally helped me kind of align in my head what I wanted outside of school once I graduated. And now it's like, I did a, did a full 180. So <laughs> yeah, it's great, dude. I'm beyond grateful for that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a really beautiful thing. Like I've thought about how, you know, listen, like a lot of people have it rough these days. Like as I was growing up, we had it rough, but like in a lot of ways, you know, when you're talking about the dream job thing, like people didn't used to have that option. Like your dad was a cobbler and you're a cobbler and your kid's going to be making shoes too. You know what I'm saying? Like there was, there wasn't kind of the dream job thing. And when you, you know, when, and, and there were also a lot of people who, you know, like, not just in recent history, like around the world right now are stuck in a job that like they have to live in this terrible environment just to feed their family. And like that still happens in our country, but it's like the standard in a lot of places. And just the fact that you could like get out of that thing and get to somewhere better is just such a huge blessing. And, you know, that's part of what I try to do in my own life and the way that I lead my team and the way that, you know, that's the impact that we feel like compliance can contribute to in the world is making sure there are fewer, doing what we can so that there are fewer of of those types of situations um, where, you know, people have to suffer unnecessarily. For sure. And I really, I'm so blessed that it, I'm not only that it happened, but that it happened early on. So there was, there was room for that recovery that you're talking about. So beyond blessed about that. (laughs) So So you said there were two, I'm interested. Was the other one better or worse than that? Oh, the second one I'd say was even worse than that. (laughs) The second one, it was just, um, it was a small company, husband and wife ran the company. And there was a lot of toxicity there that they brought into the workplace. And 
their employees were like picking fights over not it was literally like reality tv so <laughs> that one was that one was just like i was like i can't believe this is even real life and not being filmed by like the kardashian producers or something because <laughs> it would have been tv gold like i i could have been famous i could have been uh like a jersey shore guy if i wanted to be but yeah yeah could have been <laughs> the next <laughs> yeah it could have been the next joe exotic exactly <laughs> so yeah fortunately i got out of there now things are just uh pretty much right where i want them to be which is i'm so grateful for that's great man <laughs> that's beautiful i'm happy for you yeah i appreciate it so getting back to the full acquisition process um what were some of the challenges that you faced early on once you got the business i'm sure scaling is something that you've been attempting to do how has that process gone and where have your challenges been in the past versus where they're at now? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So I, I know a bunch of people who have been through this process and like, I want to talk about challenges because you asked about them and because like, that's a big part of what we learn from our own and our, and other people's challenges. Uh, you know, my dad always said that a lot of, you know, you can learn from instruction or experience. A lot of people say, oh, oh, experience is the best. Uh, but if you don't have to suffer through something and like skin your knee a bunch of times and someone can tell you how to swing, it's a lot better. Um, so I'm happy to talk about it, but I want to be clear that we stepped into a really good company that had strong leadership and had a really good culture. Um, and when I talk about culture, I don't just mean like kind of the way the like the behaviors like are like the people the hearts of our people the skills of the people that that we started working with four years ago um, were were really impressive and like I had uh, you know I, I was surprised to the upside on a lot of that um, and not everybody not everybody has that experience as you've as you've said um, so you know I think early challenges um, oh, I guess the other thing as we talk about this um, something that we teach our team and talk about here is that you, as much as possible, you want to pick your challenges, right? So it's rough when you're thrust into a situation that you're not prepared for and that it like, it's not going to help you and you're just trying to keep your head above water. If we can pick our challenges, then we're going to have that long-term view. We're going to be, be viable for a long time and we're going to be able to take care of the most people possible across our different stakeholders. Um, so we, Nick and I kind of based on um, really great advice that we got from some entrepreneurs who we work with um, and, and uh, some advice that we got, we really kind of took this approach that we, we like to say going slow uh, to go fast. So, you know, rushing doesn't get you going fast. You go slow, slow is smooth, smooth becomes fast. So um, really kind of early challenges were just around people getting to know us, us getting to know this business. We're providing really important services that uh, are supporting you know, really great professionals. And we need, we need to make sure that we held on to that quality. So just learning the business was really important. Um, Nick and I had the luxury of, this was not like a turnaround where we had to figure everything out really quickly. Things were really stable. So we went through all of the training programs. Like I wish it was the, uh, have you ever seen Undercover Boss? I wish it was like that where I had like, you know, like the bushy mustache and like the scraggly hair. And I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm just, just came into town. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that, but like we went through training programs. We learned how to take calls. We learned how to use our systems. We learned how to do searches um, because it was important for us to lead the business and make strategic decisions, right? Like we don't want to 
we don't want to be saying, hey, how hard that can this be? Just change it like everyone should deal with it. Um, and also we wanted to have, you know, a real direct appreciation for the contributions that our team makes. So, you know, getting up to speed on several things while running the business, while kind of stepping into this new role, that was, a, that was kind of like drinking from a fire hose. Um, and then the other early challenges were just, they, they were cultural and they were people getting to know us. You know, I talked about how we came in here and people were like, you know, people, uh, some were incredulous or some, you know, kind of doubted it. Some people were kind of like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll kind of believe it when I see it, but like, I'll just kind of step back for now. There were a couple people who kind of, you know, got it or believed us, uh, until we messed it up. Um, uh, you know, kind of like, I'll, I'll believe you until you prove me otherwise type of thing. Um, but, you know, I think early challenges were we had this heart to, we were like, I'm so excited that we finally get to put our own English on the ball. We finally get to like treat people we, the way that we want to be treated. And we're going to give people opportunity. And like, we try it and people would be like, mm, so what's the catch? <laughs> and we're like, no, really, like, th it's just better. We're just, we looked at all of it and we wanted to make everything better. And they're like, so. I don't know. That sounds a little too good. Uh, so there was some of that stuff or some people just being nervous and like, you know, listen, uh, it, the, this, as much as I like to focus on, you know, the opportunity and the way that we've been able to make people's lives better, like we're in a, we're in a tough job. We're in a competitive industry. There are challenges with, with what we're doing. And, you know, we, our clients expect excellence from us. So we need to build our company so that we can deliver that ex excellence. So, you know, as we were going through this, you know, we're trying to make quality better. We're trying to have systems more standardized. Um, so it wasn't just kind of, you know, kind of handing out dollar bills to everybody. Um, there, there, there's definitely a give and take as we, we talk about this process is climbing a mountain and you need to, you know, get your lungs stronger and your legs stronger and stuff like that. Um, but I think those early challenges were around helping people understand that, like, what we said is what we meant that our heart is really in this, that we're not gonna throw people under the bus, that like, if you're struggling with something, you can raise your hand and say, hey, I don't really get this, I'm not sure I can do this job right, and we're gonna be like, okay, cool, thanks for saying that, let's talk about it, let's get you some coaching. You got room to improve here, and you have room to mess up. Um, so, you know, I think that, um, we had a sense of like going slow in an operational sense of like, don't change a bunch of stuff and don't rip out the old, you know, uh, accounting system right away or whatever it might be. Um, but I, I think we got a sense for those challenges from a cultural standpoint and, you know, we can't just jump in and, and everyone kind of take us at our word and think that this, this is going to be the way that we say it is. Uh, we had to show some wins and we had to, you know, have have some times where someone thought something was going to go left and, you know, we kind of kept it on track or whatever. Um, so those were some of the early challenges. You want to pause on that Harrison or you want me to dig in some more? I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I think, uh, I think as cliche as the saying is like Rome really wasn't built in the day, you know? So the fact that you took the time to kind of develop a foundation before you're, you're focused on sell more, sell more, grow, grow, grow. It's uh, you kind of, especially in the acquisition process. Yeah. Kind of taking a step back, pretty much doing what you're doing for other companies for yourself, addressing where issues lie, where, where your new employees are facing challenges, getting used to the new leadership. So yeah, it's, it's very cool. And I, it sounds like you've gotten to a point now where you're a couple years into it and you've gotten past that. How have the challenges kind of shift as people got more acclimated? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think we keep trying to pick our challenges and um, you know, like, as, as, as we were building, as we were going slow to go fast, you know, we realized that um, the, 
our, our biggest obligation, so, so there's this balance as a leader that we're always trying to strike. Our biggest current obligation is to the people who work here and the clients who are with us, right? Like they signed a contract with us, they paid an invoice to us, they are relying, you know, the employees are relying on a paycheck from us. Like we got to keep that tight and we, we don't want to leave any of that behind kind of searching for the new shiny thing. So we got to, we, we got to hold on to that. And, and we, we really, in our early years, wanted to make sure that we would not lose that as we scaled. I think there are plenty of horror stories of someone growing too fast, tripping over themselves, doing a bunch of layoffs. Um, you know, re, you know, they, they call it pivoting, but it, uh, it can like wreak havoc on a bunch of people's lives. Um, so we wanted to really hold that thing. The people who we're with right now are the most direct kind of in front of our face people we need to serve. Um, while at the same time, looking to the future and setting a vision and having a vision that when we're two times bigger and five times bigger and 10 times bigger, there are a bunch of other people that we're trying to serve that they don't know about compliance line yet. They don't know, you know, they don't know that they could get a job here and build a career here and stuff like that. So we need to kind of build it for the future by taking care of the present and the people who are with us. And uh, that, that was a big part of our process of how we picked our challenges. So we kind of went from, you know, get in, learn the business, build a culture, you know, make sure that we knew our people and they were on board for, for where we were going. And then we kind of stepped into um, kind of scalability processes, security and stuff like that. So, you know, kind of, you know, you, you could kind of call this year two, but obviously these things meld together. Um, but we moved into kind of phase two uh, that was, you know, upgrading our IT infrastructure of, you know, uh, getting some new kind of more experienced people on our team in some areas where we had gaps in management or process or security or IT and stuff like that. Um, really investing in the business to build this as a strong foundation in a platform that, that we could launch off of. And that, that was really kind of the second cycle of challenges around, you know, upgrading this ERP and implementing this new IT system and redoing this process to standardize this and uh, putting in quality, you know, like doubling and tripling down on quality assurance and control so that we made sure that when, when, you know, we're bigger and we bring on a big new client, they're going to get the same great service that everyone else has gotten. Not like, Oh, you came here three years ago. Like it was great then. And now it's just kind of like, you know, it's like uh, eating overcooked steak or something. Um, and, and then also, you know, from an employee standpoint, making sure that we uh, you know, kept our eyes on, the culture and we didn't run the engine too hot and strain people too hard and overwork them, learn how to like onboard and recruit, you know, cause we've been growing a lot faster than uh, the company had for the past 20 years. And that puts strain on, you know, training and we got to, you know, kind of bring them onto our culture and we, we got to, uh, they have to be able to learn how to like do their job and kind of get into a place where they can succeed and grow here. So that was kind of phase two. And there were, you know, a lot of, you know, operational execution challenges with that as we, you know, kind of built that, you know, again, kind of take care of the thing that's in front of us while bu building our vision for kind of phase three, which is scale and grow and do marketing and all that stuff. Something for me, it's like as a, as an SEO guy, um, I'm doing a lot of like content creation, like digital marketing stuff, but we're also designing landing pages so that they lead to conversion. So I'd be curious to hear, uh, are you guys doing stuff with digital marketing? Like what, what current outlets are you finding the most success with closing new sales? Yeah. So, um, it's really our past kind of year and a half. We've been focused on growth. Uh, I mean, obviously we've always been focused on growth, but, you know, putting more and more of, of our incremental en energy into it. Um, and, 
you know, I mean, we're kind of doing all of the standard stuff and, you know, I, I think we're at a stage now where we're kind of building the machine and tuning it. Um, so, you know, we're doing content creation, white papers and webinars and ads. Uh, we were doing, doing conference. We thought we were doing conferences, but we're not, um, <laughs> at least yeah. until oh, they're on hold. Until the, the Rona <laughs> goes away. Yeah. Um, so we're doing all of that stuff and, you know, really, um, what we're seeing is there, there are a bunch of different ways that people get engaged and the, the point that we're going to be most successful with them is when we can engage them in a conversation and understand their specific needs and consult around those because we, you know, uh, we serve companies with hundreds of thousands of employees and with 10,000 employees and in, you know, healthcare and finance where there are a bunch of regulations and kind of, you know, manufacturing and retail where there's not as much industry specific regulation, but you have different um, kind of uncertainty and volatility um, because of the business that they're in. So, you know, understanding how um, it, it's been helpful for us to see how compliance leaders really exist in a lot of different environments across different companies. Not everyone does it the same. There's some things that are kind of best practices, but you know, thankfully this industry has progressed to a point where people are trying to solve their specific problems, not just like, you know, I mean, you're in marketing, right? It's not just like, oh, if you have a website, people are gonna love you. If you put that com in your name, you're gonna blow up like crazy. Now it's like, you gotta watch conversion, you gotta watch, you know, different stages in the funnel, you gotta do all of that stuff. Well, that maturity is happening in compliance. And it's not just like, oh, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't you use some software? It's like, okay, but I need to, I need to put this to work. I need to see what's going on. I need to tweak this and figure out how do I solve this little problem right here and fix it. Um, and we, when, when we can get into a conversation with someone or when they can just, you know, kind of hear that from our clients and hear, hear how we've solved those problems, um, then, then people kind of start to get it and they realize, okay, like, yeah, that's what I need. I didn't think that anybody would care about that thing. I thought that was just all on my shoulders to have to bear. But great, if you guys can help with that and you can empower me and you can help educate me on, on how to be effective with your tool and your service, or you can just take this off my plate and then I can focus on the deep stuff in my organization that is really kind of the biggest ball of yarn. Um, those conversations are where, where we get engaged. And that kind of top of the funnel kind of awareness and initial engagement comes from a bunch of different channels for us. Interesting. I, I think that's really awesome. And I think that I like the fact that it all kind of boils down to the having that conversation, you know, and, and yeah. really identifying their pain points. It's, it's cool that you got in. Honestly, just the world in general at this time. I just love that, that all of these spaces are innovating and kind of like branching out into new, new avenues, you know, it's just what a what a perfect time to live in an innovative culture. Yeah, it's great, man. Uh, I'm excited for the impact that we're able to make. And I'm excited for really, you know, at the end of the day, um, as with so many things in life, like we don't take the we don't take the ball across the goal line ourselves. We're here to empower ethics experts to do their job well. And when we can when we can help them be the hero within their organization, we can help them elevate the respect and the strategic reliance on compliance by doing a good job, knowing what's going on, being prepared for um, things that are ahead. Um, it's just really fun to help those people shine. Um, and we're happy to be the servant and the Sherpa that helps them climb their mountain. Yeah, it's amazing. You guys aren't the one scoring the goals. You're the one. You're the one making that beautiful assist. You're the one yeah. kicking the ball in so that they can score like a, a beautiful header. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <on the> goalie. <laughs> and and yeah. we love doing it. I, I love it. Your yeah, your passion. Even we didn't even 
Like, we didn't even need to have a call before this because I could tell you were passionate and authentic just via messaging. So I think I was correct in my I think I was correct in my initial guess. <laughs> well, it's very intuitive of you. And uh, it's uh, it's a kind compliment, Harrison. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> For sure, Gio. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Is there uh, I'd like to let you take a quick moment. Is there anything you want to shout out? I'm guessing probably uh, compliance line. <laughs> Uh, no, I'd like to shout out to the HR leaders, the compliance leaders, the ethics experts out there. I think that, you know, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but we're at the beginning of April. We're in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. And I think now more than ever, the value of preparedness and professionalism in the HR and the compliance space has really shown, um, you know, it, it's really been put um, in the spotlight. And uh, I know that a lot of our clients have been working really hard to take care of their employees, have been trying to figure out stuff that they were definitely prepared for, uh, but also, you know, new stuff is coming up. Um, and I just want to appreciate all those people out there um, who were getting ready for this, who have had their eye on their employees. And now I really hope that they're going to get the recognition and uh, the, the really strategic engagement from the, the, the rest of the divisions and the executive team, because, uh, you know, a lot of the people in our industry have really been shining amid this crisis. Like it's been crazy. Everyone's working hard. Like it's, it's been difficult for sure. But I think that the value and the skill and the professionalism of the leaders in our space has really been on display. And I just really appreciate the way that they have been prepared for this and they've been leading in the, among the storm. It's wow. Yeah. Very, very powerful thing you just said right there. I think that, I think one of the, the few positives of this whole situation is that it, it really has helped us to kind of reevaluate things that are important, both on a personal note, but also on a uh, like career path level. Like, Think of all the people that are working in grocery stores right now that like, what would sure. we do if they decided I'm not going to work? Yeah. Obviously people in HR, um, the nurses are definitely the heroes that are getting the spotlight deservingly, yeah. of course, but I, like truckers, things like that, like companies, sure, like, like industries that without none of us would be able to function <laughs> in these weird trying times, let alone ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then it's gonna it, it it would be a lot more concerning than whether you have eight hundred rolls of toilet paper. Like things would really break down. And you know, I I did a post on LinkedIn about this the other day and had some great conversations with people around, you know, those workers doing that honest work that you might look past or might someone might say, hey, you know, you should go get a graduate degree so you don't have to be like that person. Like those people are doing great work and they're 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 doing honest work and they're they're showing up to deliver something that's of of you know, a a value that has always been high but it's getting more realized now um and uh it's just it's, it's just cool to see people opening their eyes to that type of value um rather than some things that that people can get into when things get really transactional or you're just focused on yourself for sure yeah i think i think after all of this craziness kind of subsides a little bit um there's going to be a much more much more of a unified feel in the air just because it's it's something we're all overcoming together and pretty much every industry people are figuring out ways to kind of keep it afloat so so thank god for that at least yeah for sure thank god yep well geo again it's been an absolute pleasure uh, i'm really happy with how this came out and i have a lot of newfound respect for the compliance space so thank you for that yeah, it's been a great uh, chat with you, Harrison. You got a great podcast, and uh, I, I appreciate uh, being on here with you. And uh, keep it up, man. You're doing you're doing great work. Thanks, man. Keep in touch. We'll uh, we'll be having you back on if you're open to it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Happy to do it. Sounds good. Hey, man. Stay safe. Stay sane. And stay sanitized. 
Good thinking. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on episode eight with our guest today, Giovanni Gallo. Please join us on your favorite podcast platform that's YouTube included for the video version of the show. So that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Don't forget to follow on Instagram and connect with Harrison on LinkedIn. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.